This podcast is sponsored by Blue Butterfly, the go-to cocktail bar and place to meet on Earl Street, Maidstone. Bluebutterfly.co.uk. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. Hope you're okay. We're going to have the latest on the situation at petrol pumps across Kent in a moment. But first today, on Tuesday, September the 28th, we've got news that the government is taking over the running of Kent's rail operator, Southeastern. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps tweeted the news this morning, saying it's because of a £25 million breach of its franchise agreement. He went on to add that historical payments of taxpayers' money should have been declared and returned to the government but weren't. Well, what all passengers want to know is what impact it will have on them. First, here's our business editor, Chris Britcher. And not quite uh, renationalising it, but certainly the government will be responsible for it for the time being. Um, For passengers, uh, it shouldn't make any difference for the time being. Trains will run as per the normal timetables. Tickets will still be valid uh, and pre-booked and advanced tickets will still go ahead as planned. I don't think, to be honest, we're likely to see a great deal of difference going forward. Um, But obviously, once the government has worked out exactly what it wants to do, there will probably be some significant changes. And why has this happened and and why, why has it been announced this morning so suddenly? Well, basically, there's been an investigation by the Department of Transport that has discovered there was uh, more than £25 million of historic taxpayer funding that should have been returned by the company. Uh, And this has been described as a breach of the franchise agreement's good faith obligation. Consequence of that is the government says you're not doing things right. They've got the money back, but they're saying this is this is not good enough. And so they're pulling it back in. And in truth, it comes after many years of a lot of commuter dissatisfaction with services it's consistently performed very poorly in passenger satisfaction and value for money ranking. So it's um, it's probably, you know, not unexpected, I suspect, for the majority of regular users. And I know you mentioned they've said this isn't going to affect the tickets you might already have or any fares. But what about for the staff who work for Southeastern? Is it a bit of a worry for them? Yeah. Uh, anxious times for those staff I mean the reality is the trains still have to run and there still need to be people in ticket offices so I think the staff will remain there and even if it changes hands they will probably still remain there but it does put a question mark over quite how this is going to be staffed up as we go forward but I suspect they will be okay in the long run. Chris has also written about the history of Southeastern you can read that at Kent Online the company's chief financial officer has resigned in the wake of all of this and the general secretary of the RMT union is calling for a fraud investigation let's hear now from the transport secretary himself. The company quite simply concealed uh, this information uh, from uh, the public and from the government and taxpayer uh, and effectively took £25 million uh, without uh, making it known. Uh, They had a duty to reveal this, uh, essentially an accounting uh, issue, uh, which was only actually uncovered by the department uh, and the superb work it's done. We're not prepared to be uh, ripped off or have the taxpayer uh, ripped off, and that's why I've taken uh, the most firm of possible actions today, which is to strip them of the franchise itself. I should say to passengers though, uh, they won't notice any difference uh, because the uh, service will continue to run as normal as we take it over 
uh, and run it essentially through the operator of last resort, which is the government. Well, we've got a poll on Twitter today asking if you think it's time for the complete renationalisation of the railways. So far, of those who voted, 75% say yes, 14% no, and 11% are unsure. Cat Winter has added, never understand why people are happy to pay for trains through their taxes and then pay full price travel. It's basically paying for the same service twice. Personally, I'd rather my tax money is spent on anything other than paying for trains, which I'm unlikely to use. Anne has added, if renationalise, it will be back to the old days. Filthy trains, strikes, overstaffed through closed shops, constant delays and cuts in services. Trouble is, many people don't know or have experience of just how bad nationalised industries were. Well, you can have your say by voting or commenting on our Facebook question, which also asks what you would like to see changed when the government takes over the running of Southeastern next month. Finally today, let's hear from Linda McCord. She's from Transport Focus, which is a passenger watchdog. The important thing, of course, is that passengers continue to get a dependable service that they can rely on that offers good value for money. By and large, people don't really care who runs the railway. What they want is a a day in, day out service that meets their needs and indeed that they are paying for. Transport Focus runs a national rail passenger survey each year, which, of course, we've had a little bit on hold because of COVID. But before that, actually, we were seeing improvements in Southeastern. And we've seen that um, over the years. And actually, we know through COVID, uh, Southeastern, along with many other operators, have actually been offering the, a service that has, be, has been needed. So I, I, I'm not too sure that that is playing a huge part in all of this, because I think passengers were seeing an improvement uh, and the work that Southeastern have been putting into the franchise. So really passengers should not see any change and, and, and that is the key here is that you know the government is saying that staff and passengers actually will not see a difference. They will not see a reduction in services. They will not see increases in fares. What passengers want is the assurance that because there is a change effectively in management, that actually they can rely on on the services. When an announcement like this happens, people obviously will get concerned because at the end of the day, people need to get to work. People need to go and see relatives, need to do what they need to do. And they're relying on the services that they've used all the time to do that for them. When an announcement like this happens, people might naturally feel, gosh, will this impact on my day-to-day service. So yes, the government needs to do the communications really well. The communication that I've seen certainly is saying that passengers should not see any change. Well, this is also going to be the topic of discussion on tonight's episode of The Lowdown, which will be on our Facebook Live from six. You can get involved by posting a comment or question to the panel of experts who will be on the show whilst it goes out. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today and at Kent Online you can see footage that's emerged of a man pulling what appears to be a knife on a motorist for apparently queue jumping at a petrol station in Welling. Video shows the suspect confronting a driver at the Shell garage on Belgrove Road yesterday, then ending up on the bonnet and repeatedly kicking the car. Police say they're investigating. Meantime, it's a busy time for the Transport Secretary. We heard him just a minute ago talking about South Eastern. He's also said that the Army are preparing themselves to help with delivering fuel stocks. They're on standby as many forecourts across the county still have dozens of vehicles queuing to fill up. Well, Grant Shapps insists petrol stations are seeing the first signs of stabilisation, though. 
We've been getting more reaction to this story, which has been ongoing since last Thursday, actually. Mike Seller is a haulier from Sittingbourne and has been speaking to Ollie. Well, I've just travelled down from Knockhill in Scotland, the race circuit, and uh, we actually managed to get some diesel at, at uh, a place, Scotch Corner, which is sort of just before you go up further. Um, and I have to say there was... HGV fuel available and fuel for cars, but the fuel for cars was restricted. Um, but the when I went to pay for the HGV fuel, the guy said, uh, we're nearly out of fuel, but we will save it definitely have HGV fuel. But you've got to obviously prove that you're an HGV driver and what you're driving, you'll be able to fill. So there was no issues there. That's a good thing. Um, obviously, th- over the last few days in Kent, it's been a bit up and down. I mean, we are yeah. seeing some stations are reopening again, but, but other ones, four courts are still closed. From your perspective, um, are you still, have you got any jobs that are, that are going? Because I know last time we spoke, you were kind of off to Belgium and doing all sorts of stuff. So, I have, I have to be honest with you, two of my jobs this week are both continental jobs. And I've told the drivers that are doing those jobs to fill fuel abroad, which we don't normally do now because uh, it's no cheaper. Um, but uh, to fill the truck up, abroad and bring it back full so that we don't have to queue or have any issues the issues that i found coming down south and really all the way from scotch corner is that people are obviously panic buying and you cannot stop at a service station because they're queuing back onto the motorways um so if i wanted as an hgv driver and i was able to have fuel i'm still in that queue which is obviously a slip road off the motorway into the service station Uh, where where the cars are obviously in that same queue. So I tried to have a break and couldn't because there are no service stations accessible at the moment all the way, all the way down the A1. Um, So it's becoming, so I had to pull over and take a break at the side of the motorway, which you shouldn't. And I'll be honest with you, we were asked by the police because I was doing that. And I said, I can't stop anywhere. And he said, no problem, take your break and move on. But I have to say that is the main issue is that truck drivers can't get to the pumps because the car drivers are queuing. There's only one queue going to the to the area that they need to go to off the off the slip road into the service station. So there's going, it's going to be traffic jams all the way down as there was because of that. The fact there isn't enough fuel at petrol stations, as we've said a number of times, isn't down to a shortage in supplies, but not enough drivers to get it there. It's estimated an extra 100,000 HGUV drivers are needed in Britain. Ish has been chatting to Peter Cohn from A-Class HGV Driving School in Chatham about the challenge of keeping drivers in the job. We've always been fairly busy with the training. It's not the training. There's plenty of people coming through, but it's whether they stay in the job because most of them leave very quickly. And, and what's that being put down to? Why why are people no longer interested in the job? Um, because I think a lot of it is they don't know how many hours they're expected to work. They don't realise that it's going to take their life over. Um, sometimes they have to sleep in the cab for three or four nights a week. So it's a very antisocial job. And that's why there's not many young people sticking at it. There's plenty of people who want this job. The phone don't stop ringing. People are phoning up, inquiring about driving lessons for a lorry. I just feel that once they've got the licence, they feel a bit let down. The, um, the working conditions aren't very good for them. The hours are long. The wages are low. So it's, it's a mixture of all that which then makes them leave the industry. There's plenty of HGV drivers in England that aren't, in the, aren't driving lorries at the moment. They've found other alternative jobs. Could the government have done more to make this a more of an attractive prospect? Um, from We were speaking to, for example, Fair Fuel UK, who said that the government's been warned about this shortage for a long time and it, they've made it more of an unattractive position. 
the shortage of drivers has always been there. I've been teaching people to drive lorries for over 30 years. There's always been a shortage. It's just obviously it's got a lot more um, blown out up now because of um, the examiners refusing to work through COVID and Brexit, drivers going out the country. So obviously it's been exaggerated now and it's now got to a stage where they simply can't fill all the vacancies. What do you think needs to be done then? Um, the government's um, allowing sort of 5,000 foreign truckers, for example, to temporarily work in Britain to help tackle the shortage. But the Road Haulage Association saying it's something like more than 100,000 we're in deficit of. Yeah, I hear there's more than 100,000. My friend runs a haulage company and he's 50 drivers down just on his own. That's one company. But at the end of the day, the only way the government can help is take away a lot of drivers don't like the CPC and they just see it as another way of taxing the working man. A lot of drivers feel why should they be told by some 20 year old how to do their job that they've been doing for 40 years so they feel patronised. The government could help by cutting VAT on training because the VAT alone is £600 that a pupil has to find to learn to, to drive. Why should he be paying VAT to make himself more employable? We will keep you updated as this story develops. You can also share details on our Kent Fuel Info Facebook group. The Kent Online Podcast with Blue Butterfly, Earl Street, Maidstone. The number of asylum seekers crossing the channel this year is now more than double the amount for the whole of 2020. More than 17,000 people have made the dangerous journey in small boats since January. Around 670 arrived here on Sunday. A Kent school will close next September as bosses say it's no longer viable educationally or financially. Lee Academies Trust says High Wheeled Academy in Cranbrook has struggled with low Ofsted ratings, poor pupil numbers and financial pressures. A consultation has been launched over the future use of the site. All pupils in years 7 to 10 are being offered a place at Maskell's Academy in Paddock Wood and the Trust will provide new uniforms. A court's heard how a woman who was worried about the welfare of chickens at a farm in Kent caused more than 50 to be slaughtered following a break-in. 52-year-old Melanie Arnold from Hastings tried to take the birds from Friday's chicken farm in Cranbrook in September 2019. They had to be put down as the area had been contaminated. The 52-year-old from Hewenden Road has been given an 18-week suspended prison sentence. She's also got to do 100 hours of unpaid work. Kent comedian Vic Reeves has revealed he's living with a benign brain tumour which has left him deaf in one ear. The 62-year-old from Charing near Ashford says doctors can't operate. A Tunbridge Wells couple who spent thousands on their dream garden want compensation from the council after it repeatedly flooded following work on a nearby footpath. At Kent Online today, you can see water pouring into the site on Dowding Road, which the owners say is due to an overgrown lane being cleared in 2018 and no decent drainage installed. Well, the county council say they've spoken at length with the resident and are satisfied the system they've now installed will cope with normal rainfall. Traders in Margate are calling on their council to improve toilet facilities at one of Kent's most famous landmarks. It's claimed buildings at the Margate Harbour Arm are decaying with overflowing sewage on busy days. Thanet Council have declined to comment. Kent Online reports. The remains of a Roman temple that was found on a building site in Kent has been officially opened after being rebuilt. The discovery was made by archaeologists before houses were put on land just off the A2 in Newington. Now it's seen as one of the most important discoveries of its kind in Kent and has been recreated in parkland near to the development. Well, I went along earlier and caught up with Sue Flipping from Newington History Group. The The original foundations were found 
only 70 metres from where the construction is now in an excavation here between 2018 and 2019. It was perhaps a surprising excavation um, in terms of just what was found here. I mean, the person in charge of it called it remarkably preserved, a small industrial Roman town of which the temple was a part. Um, But the temple itself was quite surprising because there was a road that ran alongside it, which was almost as big as the A2. And the offerings which were left there suggest that it was a very important trade route as well as being something for local people. And how important was it for all of you that it was saved? Peter from SWAT Archaeology happened to say to us, oh, well, it'll be covered up within 48 hours. We were here. Richard Tompstone had the idea, could we save them? And from there, everything just came together absolutely remarkably. And how important do you think it is to have it where it is so that people can come and see it and learn from it still? Because that's all about history, isn't it? It's kind of bringing it to life. Absolutely. And I think there's a number of good things, a number of things again come together, that it is so close to its original location. It's on the same orientation. It's exactly the same size. It uses the original flints. The footpath that goes alongside it reflects the way the road originally swung around it. It's something that anybody can come and look at and get a real sense of what it was like to to live here 2,000 years ago. And the original location of the temple indicates to us how important that temple was, um, whether it was for people passing by or people locally. It was an industrial site and it does seem very important for local people that they had deities on which to call to have that help in transforming one thing into another, turning clay into pots for example. So the temple itself was so important to them and now it's become important to us. And I just think it's that connection across 2,000 years. A Medway museum has announced its closing following a funding crisis. The Huguenot in Rochester will close its doors to the public from next week after it says it was hit hard by the COVID pandemic. Bosses say they'll put together a rescue plan and hope it will reopen in spring next year. An escaped lizard has been rescued by firefighters in the roof of a pub in Folkestone. Ronnie, the pet iguana, climbed up onto the ship in yesterday afternoon. The RSPCA also helped with the rescue and he was reunited with his owner. Now, ahead of the long-awaited premiere of the new James Bond film tonight, we've been finding out more about 007's links to Kent. Ian Fleming, the author of the original books, had a soft spot for the county and it's referenced a lot in his novels. He also had a home near Dover and a weekend retreat on Romney Marsh. A number of actors from Kent have also appeared in the film, so you can read about them at Kent Online. No Time to Die is going to be in cinemas from Thursday. And people in Thanet reckon they might have seen a UFO. At Kent Online, we've got pictures and a video of the light that caused a lot of speculation after appearing in the sky last night. Turns out it was actually a NASA rocket re-entering the atmosphere after launching a satellite into space. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham travel to Cambridge United in League One tonight. It follows on from their one-all draw with Oxford on Saturday. The Jills have still recorded just one win so far this season and are only two places and one point above the relegation zone. Here's manager Steve Evans. Charlton at home in a derby, followed by Oxford away is, is really tough. 
we go to Cambridge, but you know, we look forward to every game and whatever eleven we have to put all we ask all we ask the players is, is give you give us your absolute maximum. We can't ask any more than that. I think I always said it would be nine or ten games in before these boys found the found the pre season if you like, found they're ready to start. I'm 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 really pleased with the point today. I'm so frustrated at one point against Charlton, but the boys knew that when we addressed it in a team meeting yesterday. Kickoff is at 7.45. As always, you can follow the match action as it happens at kentonline.co.uk. And former Gillingham manager Peter Taylor has taken over at Welling. The club announced the news on their website earlier, adding that he'd taken the first team's training session today. His first game in charge of the Vanarama South side will be against Oxford City on Saturday. Fans will probably remember that Peter led Gillingham to promotion in 2000, winning the Division 2 playoff final. Well, that's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Plus, you can subscribe to the IM News app. That will give you access to all KM Group newspapers. To do it, just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Blue Butterfly, the go-to cocktail bar and place to meet on Earl Street, Maidstone. BlueButterfly.co.uk